welcome to the School of Wellbeing podcast. I am your host, Meg Durham, wellbeing speaker, educator, and coach. I have taught and worked in schools across metropolitan and regional Australia, and I am dedicated to supporting big-hearted educators to prioritise their wellbeing and take courageous action despite the everyday pressures of school life. Because I want educators to know, you don't have to sacrifice your health, relationships and happiness to be a great teacher. Together, we are going to learn the lessons to help us teach well and be well. Let the learning begin. Hello and welcome to episode 69 of the School of Wellbeing podcast. Did you know that we have at least 70,000 thoughts a day? 70,000 thoughts. Imagine if every thought was a tennis ball. And as you walked through the day, that was 70,000 tennis balls that were just dropping. Some of these thoughts are helpful and inspire us to take aligned action. And some of our thoughts are unhelpful and hold us back. With today's guests, co-founders of Toolbox Education, Ben Skoll and David Belinsky, we will dive into our patterns of thinking and uncover the thinking traps that can have a negative impact on the way we feel, function and relate to others. Ben and David founded Toolbox Education with a vision of putting psychology's best tools in teenagers' hands in a way that they can relate to, and they have made this vision a reality by providing hundreds of students and educators with engaging and high-impact workshops. Ben has been involved in designing, managing, and running educational experiences across the world for close to 10 years. An engaging presenter and dynamic leader, Ben has worked in vastly different environments and landscapes to help young people access the tools to reach their full potential. David is a clinical psychologist and has helped design and implement a range of educational programs for schools and volunteer groups ranging from disability education to sex education. David is head of content at Toolbox Education and loves to create content that translates into meaningful impact. In this episode, we discuss what thinking traps are and how they influence our behaviour, the common thinking traps that keep us stuck, how to challenge and redirect our unhelpful thinking and so much more. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Ben Skoll and David Belinsky. Ben and David, welcome to the School of Wellbeing podcast. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks, Meg. This conversation, we're going to be exploring one of your signature workshops that you conduct in schools that really helps teachers and students understand their thinking and to explore the idea of thinking traps. Why do you think it's so important to explicitly teach these skills in school systems? I think over the last two to three years with everything that's happened in schools and especially with young people, adolescents particularly, we've just seen an explosion of anxiety amongst students it's you know it's really well publicized what's happened is students have just spent two years basically locked in their bedrooms sitting on their beds on their laptops doing school remotely messaging their friends going on tiktok and essentially just sitting in their inner world like they're they're so trapped in their inner thoughts so much of the time for those those two years and they've kind of come out of that that space into face-to-face learning and back with their friends, so much of that inner dialogue is just continuing and we're noticing it more and more. And that's why we realized that it was just so important to teach students how to actually manage some of those thoughts, manage some of those anxieties and notice when some of those unhelpful thinking styles and thinking traps are taking hold. 
When you say it like that, Ben, my mind goes to imagine if it was me in my adolescent years who was quite social. I spent a lot of time sort of wandering the corridors, just having a chat to people when things got a little bit boring. I went for a little bit of a chat. And for me to be home by myself and just how intense some of that internal dialogue could be because you're there with your thoughts day after day and then coming back to school and having to reconcile with some of these thoughts. So David, from your perspective, what are thinking traps? Yeah, so thinking traps really comes from cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT. That's a pretty widely known modality of therapy founded by a guy named Aaron Beck. And, and what he noticed in his with his patients, with his clients, is that people that came with presentations of anxiety or depression or, or any other or really a presentation, often thinking in a particular certain way, there were common patterns, common themes, common styles to the way they were thinking, which was contributing to their presentation. And it was really why they're called thinking traps is it really kind of traps you in that cycle of unhelpful thinking, negative thinking. It's really hard to kind of pull yourself out. And, and what he found is that by actually just identifying some of these styles, some of these thinking traps, people were able to catch them early. And by catching them early, they didn't kind of have to go down that rabbit hole. They could untrap themselves. And for so many people listening, the idea of untrapping yourself feels almost impossible because our thinking feels so true, so final. So where do these traps come from? You're absolutely right. A lot of these thoughts, a lot of these thinking styles are so automatic and so unconscious. And what we do in the session, what we do with with students and also in the therapy room is really just making the unconscious conscious, making it what's going on in the background a bit more into our present day awareness. And by doing that, we can really go, oh, hang on, I can respond to this how I want to. I get to steer the ship of my mind, not that background chatter, that background noise kind of control me. And when you see that in action in the classroom, it's so empowering. You can go, oh, okay, I can see that. I can notice, I can catch it, I can respond to it, I can do something about it. And to your question, where do they come from? I mean, on some level, we think in these certain ways as a way to kind of prepare ourselves and kind of protect ourselves. But so often that it's like an over, we like overshoot the protection mechanism that it actually kind of is doing us more harm than good. And there's a process there of saying, oh, I see what you're doing there, thinking traps, but I'm going to try and take control here. And so when it comes to thinking traps, what are the most common that students and adults alike struggle with? I guess with students, what we're seeing a lot are, are thinking traps like mind reading really common one is where they just try and immediately assume that someone's thinking something negatively about them. And it's so common. And and we see it in our workshops when kids are just putting up their hands, firing their hands in the air about whether they do this or not, or whether they've noticed their mind send them these sorts of thoughts. And so for instance, a seven or eight student might walk into a classroom and people might look at them and they'll immediately think to themselves, everyone hates me. Everyone's looking at me. Everyone thinks that, you know, I stuffed up earlier or I'm embarrassed for this. You know, a classic one is they'll send a text to their friends. And this is not just your seven and eight students. Like I can guarantee a whole lot of adults out there are thinking this as well. They'll send a text to their friends. And if they don't get a response within like two seconds, they'll start to spin this story in their head of, the person hates me. There's a reason why they're not responding. When in reality, the person might just be busy. The worst thing nowadays is that it actually shows you that the person has read your message. Like I think that is the biggest driver of some of these thinking traps because you know that the person has seen it and read it and hasn't responded. 
And so many of us have that moment of, I shouldn't even have to tell you because we've got in this thing of everyone should be able to read each other's mind. I can read your mind. Can't you read my mind? And it is such a trap because we're missing opportunities for connection to check is this what you're saying? You didn't get back to me for a little while. Are you annoyed at me to actually check? But we don't bother checking. We just assume and we just think that we know what other people are thinking. So what's the risk if we don't catch and notice and redirect this kind of thinking? The risk is that we treat the person as someone who is judging us and hates us. And then that has a massive impact on all of our relationships. I view my friend who hasn't replied to me, someone who doesn't like me, I treat that as absolutely factual and true. And I respond to him and other people as if they don't like me. And then in this weird roundabout way, that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because I will probably withdraw. I'm like, oh, he doesn't like me. I'm going to lean back. This is going to affect the friendship. And then it becomes true that, hey, we actually aren't as close as we both probably would have liked to have been. So the real risk is, yeah, a lack of connection and closeness and seeing each other for what's actually going on. And then one of the kind of antidotes to that or one of the helpful points that we show students, but also teachers, staff, even adults, is there are ways to A, challenge those sorts of thinking traps and find evidence for whether they're true or not, which we'll get to in a sec. The other is there's nothing stopping us from actually checking whether that story is true or not. And it's such a simple methodology and it's such a simple way of just taking that story or taking that thinking trap or that thought and checking, like checking if it's true. David and I do this together like when we're working all the time. Like we'll just be like, hey, I'm telling myself this story that you were annoyed at me that I didn't get back to your message or that I was a bit short with you in that meeting. And the other person's just like, oh, no, nah, like I totally I wasn't thinking that at all and it diffuses the tension or the the anxiety straight away and we can just keep rolling with it and I think students are shocked by that like they're like wait I'm allowed to check with someone whether my thoughts are true and the person won't necessarily hate me for it and we're like yeah you're totally allowed to and it when you see like even your sevens or eights or nines doing this it, it blows your mind and it gives them so much freedom to be in authentic relationships instead of being stuck in their heads all the time. And now we know that we don't actually know what other people are thinking. I don't even know what I'm thinking half the time, let alone what other people are thinking. And so really making this invisible, visible in classrooms to reduce the drama, reduce the tension. And what a gift, what an absolute gift to give these skills to students at a young age. And I just think, oh God, I can't even imagine what life would be if I knew this earlier. I have moments still where I catch myself mind like, oh, yep, that's what I'm doing. I've got to check. What is another thinking trap that's really common that can be quite disastrous if we don't catch it and notice it? Another really common one is ignoring the good, which I think shows up so much in the classroom. I mean, it shows up when you get a test back and a lot of students do pretty well and all they can focus on is that one silly mistake that they, they got wrong. And it really hits them heavy. We see that showing up in the sports field, you know, they will play a soccer game or a footy game for a whole hour, 90 minutes, and they'll make maybe miss one pass or miss one handball or miss one goal. And that's what they'll go home thinking rather than the three other goals they scored or the 10 other handballs they made. Something that we see there as well is just, and this kind of comes into the tools as well, of how do we just kind of balance the equation out? How do we say, yeah, we're not denying that you missed that goal. We're not denying that you made that mistake, but Let's take a step back. Let's pause. Let's take a more realistic approach to everything. 
and hold ourselves in that more balanced perspective rather than trying to be that perfectionist in everything we need to do. We have to nail 100% of all our passes. We have to get 100% of all our tests. And just by lowering that, giving ourselves permission to just be human and not have to get everything right, we see massive just drops in anxiety too. And just articulating that to young people that we are wired to focus on what's not working, what we don't like, all of those negatives, and that that can be a trap that takes us to this place of we're never good enough, we're never doing enough, and moving beyond that to notice, oh, well, out of the game, I did some good things. When I look at that test, there was actually 80% of it that I got right. That is a lot. And focusing on that, and we know that that requires effort and energy, and also just to highlight that for students because their mind's not going to highlight it for them. They're going to go to that trap of just ignoring what's good. It can be so demoralizing for a teenager, for a young person, or even an adult to look at an experience, whether it's a football game or a test, or even just hanging out with your friends as, you know, good or bad. And you might hang out with your friends for an hour or two and make one stupid comment or one joke that no one laughed at. And a teenager will come home and lying on the couch, replaying that story over and over in their head. And, you know, they'll be ignoring the good parts, the 55 minutes of that hour that were amazing and that people were having a great time and they were connecting with others, but they'll ignore all that good. And they'll only focus sometimes, you know, on the one weird thing they said. And from that perspective, it it can be quite liberating for a, a young person to go, oh, hang on, I've got a little bit of control over what's going on in my internal experience. I can also almost put these thoughts as a bit distant from me. And this is where we like we play around with different modalities, not just CBT, but ACT therapy as well in our workshops in that we're drawing on the idea as well of being able to almost just place a little bit of distance from that thought, almost see it as separate from us and not feel as thrown around by it. And that's something that I took a while to get to and I was well into my adult years before I realized that my thoughts are not facts and that I am not my thoughts. I am a human having thoughts. And to have that distinction for me in that moment, I still remember where I was, who said it, in which room. And it was like, are you kidding me? What? I just thought my thoughts are my thoughts and that's it, that they're a fact. Instead of now I know they're just a suggestion. It doesn't mean it's true. doesn't mean it's helpful. doesn't mean it's inspiring. It's just a thought. We played around with that idea for so long when we were developing these workshops and we thought to ourselves like we've got to come up with some sort of metaphor here that will that students will connect with like if we simply just come across with thinking traps and all the different unhelpful thinking styles they they might roll their eyes they might not connect with it as as closely as we might we came up with the idea that like your mind is literally like your mobile phone and every kid in the room just like their eyes lit up you know they're like oh my god I can this is me and we said like you've got a hundred different apps on your phone some of them have ridiculous amounts like I don't even know how their phones can deal with that many apps like 400 different apps but those apps are sending you notifications all day long right and some of the notifications you look at some of them you click on some of them you read some of them you delete some of them are spam you don't even bother to look at it because you know that it's ridiculous and it's sent from overseas and someone's just trying to take all your money 
And what we showed them is that like if your mind is like your mobile phone and you've got apps on your phone, you've also got apps in your mind, right? And those apps could be like the unhelpful thinking styles. So you've got an app called mind reading and you've got an app called ignoring the good and you've got an app called catastrophize. And those different apps in your mind are going to ping you notifications all day long. You're going to get thousands of them. And you've got a choice. Like you don't have to pick up the phone and click on the notification every time you get one of those thoughts. You can almost just allow it to move across the screen. You can, you can't delete the notifications. You can't put them on silent, unfortunately, like you can with your phone, but you could look at the notification, read it out loud, say it to a friend. You could find evidence for whether the the notification is actually true, whether it's spam, whether it's trying to bait you or not. And it's weird, Meg, like it's not just kids who relate to this idea. Like we've been running this for staff and parents. We're getting staff call us up and be like, oh my God, my like I have all these apps in my mind just pinging me notifications. And like they tell us six months later, they're using this concept because it relates to them. It connects with them on their level. It is so powerful to use language that people get and everybody gets that feeling of the notification that's come out of the blue. We get it. We understand it. And then to have that distance and choice of, do I take it on? Do I go down that rabbit hole of catastrophizing? Do I go down that rabbit hole of mind reading or ignoring the good and knowing that there's a choice in that? And there's so much power once we start to have this shared language, because then we could potentially say to people in our family, the people that we work with, oh, my notifications, oh, they're flying. Like my catastrophizing is through the roof. It is just pinging off its head. And then it can be a bit of fun. We can have some joy and laughter and connection with it. Yeah. And it's also not you that's sending you the notification. You, you're receiving the notification from your mind. That's a very important difference. And it, and I think for kids especially, it almost, like because teenagers are so conscious of doing the wrong thing and like not being part of the group. So like if they feel like they're doing it or they're different from everyone else, that's when they, they kind of get really scared and worried. And, and so like this idea allows them to just sort of see, oh, the notifications are happening to me. Like they're popping up on my screen of my mind. I'm not creating them. And so I get the choice of whether I want to view it or read it or not. And what that does there is that it takes away the judgment from the students and they feel okay to share. And that's what's something that's so powerful that we do in the workshops. We get kids standing up, raising their hands when we put up one of the thinking traps on the board. So we read out, this is mind reading, where we immediately assume something negative about someone. Put your hand up if this has ever happened to you before. If you've ever seen your mind send you one of these notifications, they all take a step forward. They all put their hand up. And one of the most powerful things in the classroom is just taking a moment to say, hey, students, look around. Every single one of you, without fail, has seen this before. Every single person in this classroom, even the popular one, it doesn't really matter. This is so normal. You're not alone in your internal experience. And through that is it's so validating. And there's also a lot of humor there that, <laughs> hey, this is what our mind does. You know, Our mind is going to give us a really rough time if we get that haircut that we shouldn't have gotten, right? And through that, it's, it's really a space of, of acceptance, of validation, and we can really create something cool here. And then in that space, in that relationship in the classroom, we can take a look honestly and openly at these thoughts and really talk about how we can do something about them. There is something magic about a group coming together to hear these concepts, to have access to a shared language, 
and realize it's not just me. I thought it was just me. I remember when I was going through school, one of my beliefs that I had that I was very attached to was I'm not smart enough. And so a part of that was I didn't read the books. Yes, I did not read a full book all of my secondary school years. I spent so much more time finding cheat sheets, watching videos, talking to friends, trying to find out all the things because this belief that I thought I wasn't smart enough. And I look back now and think, oh, if only I had realized that that thought was stopping me from being smart enough. That thought was stopping me from actually opening the book, reading the book, knowing who the characters were, so then I could potentially write an essay because it's pretty hard to write an essay when you don't really know the characters, you're kind of making it up, and that was reinforcing this thought of, I'm not smart enough. I got to confess, I did something really similar as well. And like that, that really spoke to me when you mentioned that. And another example as well is like, is almost, we call it setting the bar too high. You know, we see it in so many high performing schools, but we also see it in, in lower socioeconomic schools or with students who don't think they're going as well, where the bar that we set for ourselves for success is so unreasonably high relative to, you know, to our expectations or what we think we should be doing that we completely rule out the potential for happiness or success. And so something for me that I always did was like, no matter what I got in a test with 80, 90%, whatever it was, it was never good enough. So the bar was always being set higher and you could never be happy. Like you could never actually be be thankful or grateful for what you got because the, the, the you couldn't achieve it. And like I said, like we're also seeing that with students who, because we're seeing so many more school refusals nowadays. Like we're seeing students who aren't even showing up to school. And so a lot of students who are setting the bar too high that they need to be like perfect in everything they do and achieve full marks and say the perfect thing in their friendship group every single time, send the perfect meme in their WhatsApp groups and so on. And it's like, if they don't hit that, Bar, they're a failure, just not even showing up to school in the first place. Like it's it's gonna be a failure. These things are right, like they're they're happening all the time. And when you think about what people have gone through in the last few years, of course they're not going to be feeling and functioning the way they were in their school system pre all of this. And if their expectation is that it should be how it was, of course you're setting yourself up for failure. It's not like it was for anybody. And being able to wrestle with that discomfort is quite a skill. So with all this in mind, how could a listener really know that they're trapped in their thinking? What are some subtle and maybe some obvious signs when we're trapped or potentially attached to our thinking, do you think, David? I mean, I think a big one is when we're doing mental time travel. I think that's a huge clue. Is our, are we thinking about something that's really in the future? Like how far in the future are we, are we thinking, worrying about? And at the same time, how far in the past are we thinking or worrying about? That's going to be our first clue in going, okay, I'm definitely probably in a thinking trap and I'm kind of stuck there. How do I bring it back to what's going on right now in this moment? That's going to be our first really, really helpful clue. And then another thing we can ask ourselves is, because sometimes there is merit to think about the future and there's always space to think, think about the past and reflect on the past. And maybe it kind of ties into that, that growth mindset of is what I'm thinking about actually helping me or is it kind of keeping me in this cycle of, of vicious self, self-attack self and criticism and not feeling good enough? Am I reflecting as a way to grow and learn or am I just punishing myself for the, my past actions? They're such beautiful signs to look out for. Where is our mind and is it helpful or is it unhelpful? I know for me when I'm in a thinking trap, my mind gets loud 
My thoughts get loud. They're starting to yell at me and they're getting really, really quick. And so generally it's at the end of the day. Generally it's when I'm in the kitchen and it's all feeling loud and I start to get irritated with everyone. And I know that I'm just in this trap. I'm in this trap of all or nothing. I'm doing it all and no one's doing anything else. So I'm in this trap of this all or nothing thinking it's an obvious sign. And then I redirect myself to go have a shower, go have a bath, watch some TV. Because what I used to do in the past was when everything got loud and busy in my head and I got in that all or nothing thinking, I would make it somebody else's problem. I would blame somebody else and potentially start a pretty heated argument because I just needed to release that pressure. But now I can pick up on the signs. I realize it's actually not about them. It's about me. There's too much going on for me and I really need to spend some time away from the situation so I can come back to a more neutral position. Yeah, and I think you're lucky there in the sense that you can assess that situation and know what your best needs are, you know, whether it's taking time out, having a bath, you know, going for a run, whatever. Often, you know, we're not able to assess what's our best next move. And I love that you used use the phrase, my mind feels loud. And, you know, I almost just want to like bring back to that first analogy around the mobile phone. It's like, if you picked up your phone and you've got a hundred different text messages on your screen or WhatsApps or notifications, like it's busy on there. Like it's hard to sift through all that. And I almost feel like that's what your mind is doing. Like it's just like a screen of notifications. Like you're almost scrolling through all of them. And I think often, you know, we, we kind of made this point earlier that we think that we need to go at that alone and that it's our phone screen so no one else can see it. When in reality, you've got the you've got people around you. You, you can take that opportunity to go, whether it's, you know, partner, your friend, your, you know, someone you work with to take one or a few of those notifications that are piling up on the screen of your mind and just read them out loud and just go, you know, one of the, the notifications or the thoughts that I'm getting at the moment is that everything sucks and I'm terrible at this and, you know, I'm shocking at maths and I'm a terrible co-worker and it's like, okay, wow, cool. I've read it out loud. Like that's the first step. In that moment, you're probably even going to see it yourself that like there's a huge amount of negativity or there's like some ignoring the good in it or there's some mind reading going on with some of those notifications. But the other person might be able to actually unpack it and go, hey, I don't even think that that's true or that you really believe that. And I think it's just a step that so many people don't even think to take or want to take because they're afraid that someone might judge them for their notifications. Every time I talk to people about how loud my head gets, people get this look in their eyes of, oh yeah, I know that loud voice. I know that feeling of feeling like everything is screaming at me. I know for students that I work with, they have times where they feel like at the school, everything's screaming at them. The attention of their friends, the attention of work, the attention of trying to be a prefect, the attention of just standing at their locker, it is all too much. People in workplaces, they just have to walk into their office and see their emails and it's like all those floods of notifications just fly in. Or for people in their homes, they walk into their homes and their homes are screaming at them, washing, laundry, like all these things, all these thoughts, they're there, but we can learn how to break free from these traps. So what's the first step in really breaking free and creating this distance? The first tool in, in everything we do is to notice the app in this situation. Actually be aware of what is going on. Where's this thought coming from? It, am I mind reading right now? Am I blowing things up? Am I fortune telling? Am I ignoring the good? That first step and just catching it 
be so helpful. It's almost like a shortcut. So we don't have to be, like I said before, down that rabbit hole of unhelpful thoughts and kind of get stuck in that cycle. We can almost short circuit and go, oh, I'm mind reading here. I don't need to go down that. I don't have to do this. I'm going to take a step back and observe that. That's tool number one. Tool number two is kind of what Ben just said as well. It's actually slowing right down and saying, okay, what am I thinking right now? What is the thought in my mind? If it was written out as a notification or a text message in my mind, what is it saying? Because so often, like Ben said, our mind, when we're feeling anxious, our, our brain goes a bit offline. We're not really thinking clearly. We're kind of in that emotional, and it's really hard to kind of slow right down and put, put all the pieces together. By doing that cognitive work and going, okay, what am I actually thinking? One, that lowers our anxiety, and that gives us more control to be able to think a bit more clearly about what we're saying ourselves or what our mind is telling us. So we're noticing, we're creating space. Yeah, and then there's a third tool there, which is around finding evidence. So in that notification, in that thought, once you've read it, you've seen it, you know what the words are in a sentence. I'm not good enough or they all hate me or I'm going to fail this test or whatever it might be. Finding evidence for for part of it that's true, part of it that's not true, and even some evidence you might be ignoring. Like if you were to play devil's advocate on that notification or that thought, what would it look like? And I think so often our minds are adept at being able to find evidence for why the notification or the thought is true. It's got, it's almost like an AI bot that's just got tons of just lists of evidence for why, yes, I am going to fail or I'm not good enough or they do hate me. You know, the piece of evidence might be, oh, they gave me a funny look or they didn't respond to my text. And they build up those pieces of evidence. But, you know, it's our job to find evidence for why it not be true. You know, oh, they they got back to me yesterday or, you know, I had a really good time with them the other day or, you know, the evidence for why I'm not going to fail this test. Well, I didn't fail my last one. And I've actually studied throughout the year. And my teacher said that I was going really well. And I've got, you know, I did have confidence yesterday. And like, it's, it's our job to find those pieces of evidence or evidence that we're ignoring, you know, for a student, like they bypass a lot of the evidence that, you know, teachers are actually a little bit more lenient at the moment. You know, they know that the last two years have been hard or they ignore the evidence that everyone else is struggling. Like everyone else is probably going to fail the test and doesn't know what they're doing. Like that's evidence that they're just shoving away and ignoring. So again, it's our job to find the evidence that the notification isn't true and that we might be ignoring in this situation. Just imagine for a moment that we all had the ability to notice our thinking, step away from it a little bit, create a little bit of distance, and then check for evidence. Just imagine how that would transform the way that we live and work as human beings. And this is why this information is so important. And it brings to mind an example of me, something that brings me unstuck quite regularly is swimming lessons. With a five-year-old, three-year-old, one human, high-stress environment, it's at the end of the day, And I have moments when it's not going so well, when it's all happening and I can feel myself. And sometimes I actually come out of my head and they're loud and I say stuff that I told myself I would never say. So I'll pull out that, I'll call your father. Don't you like swimming lessons? Oh, I thought you liked this. Oh, like, ah, 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 like catastrophizing. It's all happening as I'm getting more activated. The boys are getting more activated. The swimming lesson that should have started 20 minutes ago, no one's actually in the water. It's all happening. And I can see myself now. I can actually laugh at myself in the moment with how ridiculous I am being. I still can't stop myself. 
because I'm too far gone, but I can laugh at myself. And now our oldest son, a bit later, when I go to do the repair, like, buddy, that was about me, not you. Now he says to me, oh, mom, don't worry. I know that was about you. That wasn't me. I'm good. (laughs) So this is what can happen when we have a language that thoughts are just thoughts. They can trap us but we can also set ourselves free from it with this bit of compassion that we're going to stuff it up. Meg, firstly, I'll say I've just had that image of being in an indoor pool talking about loud noises and echoing. That that is a place where I can imagine all our thoughts are magnified plus all the added stress. I I think what's beautiful about that is, one, the repair, which is so lovely to hear, and and I think that's such an important part of all of this as our role as parents or educators is actually modelling the behaviour, but also on a more individual level. How wonderful that you can take the time to reflect and say, hey, that wasn't my best performance there. And you can actually go back in time and go through the steps then. And you can kind of try and build that muscle in that way because we're not going to get it right every single time as it arises. We're not. But what we can do is think about previous experiences and then kind of start there and go, okay, well, this, uh, you know, last week at swimming, I was probably blowing things up. This is, the, this is what I was thinking. This is what the evidence there was. And here's maybe my more balanced thought. And the more we chip away at that, the more we build that muscle, it will get to a point where it happens in real time, where we notice that thought. That, and it's so wonderful that we, can, we have that experience to experience that, that guilt and go, hey, I want to do better. This is how I can do that. And this is the power, educating young people with real life skills to navigate the ups and downs. Ben, when you look back at your time at school, with the knowledge that you have now, about thinking traps, how do you think it would have shaped your life if you knew what you knew now? I think it just would have taken the pressure off. You could almost just enjoy your time so much more. Like what an awesome time, you know, middle school, high school, like the world's your oyster. You're doing so many different things. You're trying so many different, you know, hats on and personalities and you're trying to figure out who you are. And like, I think having gone to a high pressure, high performing school, that academics was the focus, get a great ATAR, all this sort of stuff, which is awesome. Like it's so good to have that focus. But what it also can do to an individual is if you don't catch yourself is to you can really catastrophize little mistakes and put so much pressure on yourself to succeed and to perform and almost tie your personality to success or achievement or as opposed to just who you are as an individual and I think had I been armed with this knowledge you know when I was going through high school and just towards the end I think it just would have made it so much more fun And also, like David spoke to the humor of it, like you can almost laugh at it a little bit more because it's not you, it's your mind sending you these thoughts and these notifications. So I think I wouldn't have, you know, beat myself up so much for thinking that way or thought that I was different from everyone for thinking that or did badly on this test or I lost a few marks. Like it would have been a sign for improvement or like, oh, okay, I did, but I did well here as opposed to, oh, I'm not going to get into that course or you know, I'm going to going to be as good as my teachers or parents thought I would be at this subject. So yeah, I think it would take the pressure off. So how about you, David? How would it have impacted your life to understand thinking traps and the way that we think? Good question. My mind also went to the pressure off, but I think as well, socially as well, I think I would have had deeper connections. I know as a teenager, it's hard and friendships are constantly changing and you're finding yourself, but wow, the capacity to just share what's going on internally with a friend and to have that closer relationship at that early age would have been really, really, really cool. That gets me excited because it is possible 
for this generation to have more joy and more connection, to be able to laugh at each other. Oh, you're catastrophizing. Oh, here I go again. I've flipped my lid. It's all happening. We had a head of wellbeing call us up like a couple of weeks after a, a workshop with these year sevens or year eights. And she said that she overheard two girls walking past her office. She overheard one of them say to the other one, like they were, she was just telling the other girl about a day or like something that she was worried about. And the other girl said to her, have you got any evidence for that thought? And like these kids are in year eight and they're using that language. And the, the teacher, the head of wellbeing was just like, wow, these girls are in year eight, like, Imagine what's going to happen when they're, you know, three, four, five years down the track, they're going into BCE and they're or, or doing their ATAR year 12 and, and they're like stressing out like how they're able to do that, not just for themselves, but like how they'll communicate with their friends or with people they don't know, like their ability to take that inner experience and communicate it to someone else is so powerful. So potentially going with your analogy of the phone, you're giving them new software you're giving them an emotional software upgrade from the program that we had. We were there playing Snake and getting excited by playing a bit of Snake and they've got this whole new language that we can provide them so they can navigate life with so much more presence, joy and connection. Ben and David, I'd love to wrap this conversation up with an invitation for you to finish four sentences. David, we'll begin with you. I am inspired by... I'm inspired by the students. I mean, we're blown away by the emotional intelligence that the students we talk to have. It, it never ceases to amaze me. When life feels hard? When life feels hard, I walk my dog. That's what I do. I walk through this morning. She's beautiful. An underrated skill is? Not going into problem-solving mode when someone is coming to you with a problem and actually listening and creating the space for someone in whatever they're struggling with is so wonderful. And I'm looking forward to? I actually got engaged a few weeks ago, so we've got a wedding in March, so I'm looking forward to the wedding and the summer, hopefully in the summer, that, that is around that. Congratulations. That is so exciting. Uh, ben, I am inspired by? I am inspired by our facilitators and our presenters, the ones who deliver the workshops in the schools. You know, they're the current university students who have just finished high school who you know relate to the kids and I'm inspired by seeing them in action because they do this because they love it and they're really good at connecting with young people. When life feels hard? I try to zoom out and just see it as part of life's journey like it you know that phrase this too shall pass like try and zoom out and see where this is in the context of your life. An underrated skill is? The ability to talk out loud what you're, what you're feeling, what you're thinking. I think so few people actually possess that ability or, or have developed, cultivated that skill of just being able to say what's on their mind and honestly just share it, be able to kind of pass it on to someone. And I'm looking forward to... So we've, we've got a three-month-old baby boy, Riley, and he's growing up now. He's just started smiling and interacting with us and a little bit more alert. And I think as I think to the work that we're doing and the impact that we're having on young people. like I'm excited to raise him in a way that he can feel comfortable with his emotions and is able to kind of acknowledge some of these, obviously not as a three-month-old, like that would be that would be weird, but when he gets a bit older that he can grow up in an environment that, you know, what he's thinking and feeling is okay, like it, that he can feel comfortable to express himself as he is and, acknowledge his thoughts and feelings in a you know, mature way. Ben and David, 
Thank you for the work that you are doing. You are providing young people and the adults that support them with the skills to really navigate the ups and downs of life. And that ripple effect will go on for generations to come. So thank you for your work and thank you for being guests on the School of Wellbeing podcast. Thanks, Meg. Thanks so much for having us. I hope this conversation has inspired you to take deliberate action in your life so you can feel, function and relate better. To learn more about today's guests and the incredible work they are doing in the world, see the show notes for more information and ways to connect. If you love the show, please share it with anyone you know that would benefit from listening or reach out to me on Instagram or LinkedIn and let me know what resonated with you to keep the conversation going. To learn more about ways that I can help you and your school community thrive, visit my website, openmindeducation.com. There you can book me to speak at your next event, learn more about my game-changing wellbeing programs or download my free five-step energy guide. You can find all the links from today's episode at openmindeducation.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the School of Wellbeing and I look forward to sharing more heartfelt conversations with you next week.